Welcome to Formula Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And today, spring has sprung. It's all about <laughs> veggies. Cindy Wolf's favorite topic of all time. Oh, it is now. I have teased you so many times about vegetables. Yeah, Tony thinks I don't like excited. them for some bizarre reason. <laughs> That's because you're the baby in the family. Uh, no, no, no. Well, I am. That's true. Yeah, I am the baby of the, the family. But yeah, yeah. I eat them now. I, I might not have eaten too many when I was little, but... I got it going now. So let's let's talk about the uh, the the big fun spring items. We can just kind of make a little list, right? Artichokes, mm-hmm. asparagus, mm-hmm. English uh, peas, fava beans. Well, we can talk about timing on that stuff too, because asparagus and artichokes you expect end of April through May, mm-hmm. and the timing on this stuff is a big deal. All, all the baby root vegetables should be starting in the next few weeks you know that that's a may thing also that's so exciting but, but peas fava beans the the beginnings of those uh you know with the the little tiny favas they call avas in uh avas. in catalonia that are so mm-hmm. good that are really nutty so delicious all of those guys are coming june so okay we should start with the uh the the april may stuff mm-hmm. so what's your all-time favorite artichoke dish well <sighs> I just put a mozzarella salad on that I'm absolutely now in love with. So it might be one of my favorite artichoke dishes. So we cook our artichokes and we're using babies now. And I have almost never worked with baby artichokes. I don't know why, but there's no reason. Um, uh, But these little guys are so fun. Um, I just like being able to serve the whole thing. Uh, The choke is insignificant in a small, that's why they're, I guess that's why they're called artichokes. Um, there's a, a little kind of furry thing in the middle center of the artichoke, which we've, if you've ever handled a fresh one, you've seen it, and it, it is not edible. Um, it's it's a little bit like if you were to try to eat the lung on a crab, um, it's it's just a very, uh, it's, it's, it's sort of a weird, woody, feathery, kind of horrifying center thing that needs to be ignored and not eaten. So, but with the little ones, there's, it's, it's so tiny, you can, you can, you can eat it. So, um, we trim up the artichokes, and with the small ones, obviously, there's a lot less trimming to do, and they're easier to trim because they're not as hard, quite frankly. Um, you need a really good, sharp, heavy-duty knife, good chef's knife or a good paring knife, actually a good paring knife, not a chef's knife, um, to clean up a, a large artichoke. And with the smaller ones, it's just a little bit of an easier job. So you cut the top off, the very bit of the top. Um, you you want to lose that that little bit of curled in top leaves. And um, you, you can cut off a few leaves from the outside and just trim the stem a tiny bit. Um, but I cook mine in uh, uh, water uh, with mirepoix, a little bit of carrot, celery, and onion, bay leaf, uh, peppercorns and a little bit of thyme. And, um, there's sort of a secret, two secret things for me that I do. We add a lot of extra virgin olive oil and a lot of lemon juice and salt. And, um, salt's not a secret, 
But uh, that's, and then we, we poach them in there and they don't take very long, the little guys. And then we just trim them up a little bit further after they come out. If we feel like some of those leaves are still a little sturdy um, and not as tender as we'd like them to be, then we just discard those and we keep them. Uh, we don't throw them away. We just put them in a container. And um, because we do a case at a time, we then make soup from the uh, trimmings. How long is not so long for the for the babies? The jokes? I'd say... 12 minutes. I've never timed it, but I'd say 12 minutes. The big guys take 20 to 25 um, on on low simmer. You know, you're not boiling them. You're you're cooking them very gently. Um, but, you know, once they're tender, that's when they're they're done. So you're you're looking for them to change from their original their original texture to something that's tender but not falling apart. Well, artichokes it it's interesting far as, as far as being part of a dish. One of the reasons and you know that my palate leans that Italian way where bitter is an important thing. Mm-hmm. Artichokes are one of those things where, where there is a sweetness and a bitterness at once. And there is that floral character It's really one of the most complex uh, mm-hmm. things that you can work with. Mm-hmm. You're putting it with buffalo milk mozzarella, really fatty, creamy, lactic. Uh, it has a high natural acid um, and, and very malleable to just sort of bounce the, 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 the bitter and the sweet and the flowers and the off of well, and to have the fat is, with it, which is great. Yeah, well, that and that dish, we actually serve the artichokes warm in the dish. They're not hot, but we hold them warm um, in their cooking liquid. And so, I really love that aspect because I almost, you know, it's not often you put too many hot things on a salad. At least I don't. And again, there's no reason for that. It's just that's just the way it is. And with the fresh artichokes being warm, and then you have the slices of mozzarella. And now that you're bringing us the Amish tomatoes, we're having these, you know, beautiful slices of tomato, a little bit of celery microgreen, which really tastes like celery. So you're introducing that flavor into the plate. Um, A very light, gorgeous extra virgin olive oil from Greece that doesn't have any heat to it at all, or, you know, any, any sort of intensity and flavor to it. It's just a really pretty floral, uh, extra virgin olive oil and a good salt and a little pepper. And, um, because, uh, and when we hit it with a little bit of fresh lime juice, we sort of drizzle a little lime over everything. And it is just, and we were adding strawberries before we had the tomatoes. And I really like the strawberries on there. Not a lot, but, um, so if you don't have the, obviously you don't have access to the tomatoes that we do. Um, and it's really way too far ahead of tomato season to, to be working with them. Otherwise, um, you could do strawberries, which I know you're about to say will be coming into season soon. Well, that they, yeah, they're coming from from our guys in Virginia. They're coming now. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, good. Uh, I, so I, I I tell you, I I've got my girls, and a lot of listeners know I have a seven year old girl and a four year old girl, and one adventurous eater and one not adventurous eater. But one thing that if if dad makes um, polo milanese. Also known by the girls as fried chicken, <laughs> um, and then you know I I can put the dreaded salad that's part of that dish on my plate with nice spicy arugula and that sort of thing. <laughs> but when the artichokes started coming and they were so nice, I grabbed some and poached them as you described, but then chilled them and left them just an extra virgin with a with a decent amount of salt, nothing crazy, and mm-hmm. uh, and a little bit of white wine vinegar. And then all but shredded those guys, you know, quartered them, shredded a little bit of the ends and tossed those with sweet lettuces, like the very first gem lettuces that have come 
and a little bit of pickled shallot and a red wine vinaigrette and a drop or two of good balsamico and made that the salad for the, the polo milanese, uh, you know, that, that you pound relatively flat. And basically it's, you know, big flat fried chicken with a fun salad on top of it. Mm-hmm. And Sounds that good. was great. And the girls avoided the lettuces in every way, shape that they possibly could. <laughs> That's funny. But they really, they like the artichokes. They like the whole, we're eating flowers, dad. Hmm. We're eating flowers. There you go. That's cute. It's funny because I was just reading, and you know how to say it better than I do. I I, I believe it's barigoule, the artichoke preparation, the French. Oh, barigoule. Yeah. Barigoule. Um, the chef at Lutece in New York from years and years ago, um, Andre Soltner, was just an incredible French chef, and and you know one of his dishes was the artichoke, and he he put some. Uh, uh, carrots in with it, cauliflower. So the dish is just so healthy and beautiful. And I had, I don't think I've ever had it with cauliflower in it. That sort of made me, I'm not sure that I like that idea, but you know, definitely carrots, the artichokes, um, fresh herbs, and uh, again, lots of lemon, some extra virgin olive oil, the broth from the cooking liquid, uh, or even just a great uh, white veal stock is is good in there. And, um, but yeah, I, I love that, that dish. And that would be just so darn good with a great piece of fish. Like pan roasted sea bass or, or rockfish that we all love so much locally, and um, but any kind of you know like flaky white fish like that would be so good with that prep. But you know, or if you just want the bowl of vegetables, it's an incredible way to eat it. And we used to have something like that at, um, and you used to always get it when we went to Beaugraviere. And of course, he puts truffles in his, and that really throws it over the top. Um, that artichoke broth dish that you would get. It's funny, asparagus and wine, you know I have a pet thing that I prefer for asparagus, and that's Suave Classico. Right. And that's, that's an easy match. Artichokes are a little bit trickier because it depends upon the preparation and just how much acid there is in the preparation, you know? Mm-hmm. And you, you certainly don't want anything sweet there. You need something that's going to be built with a little bit of bitterness but also acidity which is a bit different from Suave Classico. Like Suave Classico can work. That grape, Garganga, can work. But I prefer a lot of the Northwest Spanish whites, uh, you know, the things from Galicia, whether it's um, uh, the grapes of Trechadora or uh, Godejo, I think can often be really, really brilliant uh, for artichokes. But if you ended up with... um, uh, Trabiano d'Abruzzo from a, a really good producer, you know, or a Pecorino from Trabia from uh, Abruzzo. Uh, those would work. What are your feelings on artichokes and cheese? Well, I make artichoke soup and I puree Reggiano into it at the end instead of adding any cream to it. So I think artichokes and cheese are incredible. Obviously, I'm doing the mozzarella salad with it, but Reggiano is just perfect for it. Um, I just brought in a piece of Montgomery's cheddar, which is a gigantic wheel of cheese. Uh, I forgot just how darn big that thing is. It's it's like 35 pounds, and it's a spectacular piece. 
and I haven't cut into it yet, but I have every intention of maybe grating some of that and serving with on the artichoke salad instead of the mozzarella uh, for a little while as a change. Um, and I think I think that cheese has got a high acidity level and it's very fatty at the same time. And I can smell that cheese every single time I go into the walk-in and it's that cellar smell, you know, that 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 musty, gorgeous, you know, just like earthy, mushroomy kind of in a very positive way smell. And I cannot wait. I, we just got it in. I cannot wait to cut into that wheel. Um, but yeah, that comes to mind. But yeah, artichokes and cheese do very well together. It's only only a chef would use musty and gorgeous to describe the same thing. <laughs> I, and, and of course, I know exactly what you mean, but it's just <laughs> striking me. The, the, the other thing I think that's interesting about artichokes and some of these other vegetables are that they have a certain flexibility because they can be a main plate thing like gatichu barigul, or they can be, you know, something just being offset by the, the, the mozzarella. Um, but they're often parts of... Uh, other dishes, you know, I always think of uh, spring lamb, the French dish, Navarin, mm -hmm. uh, with baby root vegetables as well as baby artichokes and, and little tiny onions as part of that. Not only can you think about how much you like that, but I have a baby lamb coming in today, so you could actually even eat that soon if you wanted. How about the that? Best, the best thing about getting baby lamb are the polpettine making the little tiny lamb meatballs. Mm. And those guys with artichokes in uh, a, a pasta that has some, some body to it, you know, uh, something, maybe tagliatelle, that, that's a very happy meal. Mm -hmm. Right. I was telling the waiters about, um, you know, that we were getting the baby, the whole baby lamb in today and that, you know, then th there'll be all the primal cuts and all the, you know, wonderful cuts, the sub cuts, and then there'll be trim, usable trim, what we call. And um, I'm looking forward to making either Ballantine or as you said, you know, some sort of some sort of force meat somehow. But I like the idea of making little tiny meatballs because Everett makes such great pasta. Um, that could be fun. I would like to do that. You could also, if you want to use the baby artichokes again, you could serve them in brodo. Yeah, like that would really be so good. good. Herbie Brodo with, yes. uh, with the artichokes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to have to do that. So yeah. Asparagus is its whole own drama. Mm -hmm. That's, is, by the way, is there, some, is there a dish you would just never use artichokes with? Is there an application or a situation or is there a combination that just does not appeal to you? Hmm. Hmm. I, I can't really off the top of my head think of anything because I've paired artichokes with beef. Because I, I have a I have a pet thing. Oh uh yeah I no I don't I can't think of anything because it goes well with like I said with the fish and yeah so what's your pet thing? Potatoes. Oh I the texture of potatoes and the texture of artichokes <laughs> okay. drive me bananas. All right well gosh I hope nobody ever makes that for you. And I think it's I think it's a little bit of a, a waste. Mushrooms are a little bit of a waste in a dish that, that uh, is strong yeah, with artichoke flavors. I, I don't see mushrooms with artichokes, actually. Yeah. But a lot of root vegetables, whether it's uh, beets, uh, celery root, or different kinds of beets, mm -hmm. or carrots, really natural. Yeah, carrots are uh, so good with artichokes. 
Yeah, that's no complaint about that sort of business. Okay. Well, when we come back on Formula Wolf on food and wine, God, we like artichokes so much. What are we going to do with asparagus? Mm-hmm. On Formula Wolf on food and wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. <laughs> and Chef Cindy Wolf. And we're talking spring veggies. They're mm-hmm. showing up and we're cooking them. Yeah, we are. So it's all <laughs> asparagus. And here we are right in the middle of the program talking about oh my gosh. that thing that we all freak out about every spring. Mm-hmm. And the chefs all start asking me somewhere around April 15th, when is it coming? I'm like, well, like every year between the 22nd and the 25th. When is it coming? Isn't it coming sooner? <laughs> Global warming. <laughs> it's the sun and soil temps, sorry, between the 22nd and the 25th. And lo and behold, on the 24th, I get asparagus. Well, and speaking of that, I'm going to make saffron risotto with asparagus today. I can't wait. I was in, I was in the kitchen earlier, but, you know, that's because we were getting in some new equipment. But, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to go back in and make that risotto with asparagus classic italian dish yeah sort of a variation on milanese if it's saffron and asparagus i like saffron and asparagus for a seasoning asparagus is such a particular flavor it loves or really doesn't love whatever's with it mm-hmm. you were talking about the artichoke about um, uh, doing a, a version of caprese with uh, with the artichokes have done that with asparagus, you know, just blanched and chilled and cut very, very long and skinny and then twirled almost like it's pasta with uh, mint vinaigrette and, and lots of garlic in that. And it's Which, so pretty when you cut it like that, too. It was pretty fun to eat like that. Mm-hmm. So how about you? I'm moving asparagus in Asparagus dishes. Yep. Well, so my all-time favorite is whole grain mustard blanc and crumbled Vermont goat's cheese, which is on the menu because, I mean, you just can't beat it. It's the perfect combination. Um, and that's hot asparagus. So we blanch the asparagus in heavily salted water. Uh, one of the things about asparagus is it does make a difference if you peel it. And um, so you want, to, you want to snap it at the point where it snaps naturally, um, which is usually about, you, you usually... I guess you probably lose about 20 to 25% of the asparagus, which part of that loss that you cut off, you can use for soup. Then, you know, if you're, if you're concerned about the way it looks, you can cut it all to the same length. Or if I don't know why you would worry about that at home and why you would waste the product, quite frankly. I mean, obviously that's what we do at the restaurant, but if you're at home, just, you know, just trim up the end and, and you're good. And uh, you want a big pot of water with a whole lot of salt in it. And you just, once it's um, trimmed and you've peeled it, and when you peel it, peel it gently. Um, you don't want to lose a whole bunch of the asparagus. You just want to get that dark green outside off. Um, so, you know, you can either use a paring knife and do it by hand, which takes some skill, or you can use a peeler, but just do it gently. Use, and, a, use, use a peeler. I've seen them hacked into little spears. 
Yeah. And All right. sort of two-headed spears. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it takes knife skills. Yeah, so so uh, and then you once it's peeled and cleaned up on the end, then you can uh it's all ready to go. You have your shocking uh container of ice and water ready to go as well. Your pot comes to a rapid boil. Um and no way will there ever be a lid on that pot after it comes to a boil, a green vegetable, um, you would never cover the pot. Um, and so you drop the asparagus in and you know, you've probably seen people bundle them and do all of that. Um, I don't, I don't, that to me, that's totally unnecessary. It's, um, but you can do it if you think there's some reason to do it. Uh, and then, so you just drop them in, you let them float around in there in the heavily boiling water. And when they're all Dante, you take them out and you shock them immediately, or you eat them immediately. Either, either you're, you're blanching them to eat them, uh, or you're blanching them to get them ready for dinner later on. Like that's what we do. So, um, that's how you cook green asparagus. I told you the other day uh, about asparagus I did when I got the very first stuff at home and uh, you were going on about how excited you were about that. That's mm-hmm. definitely something anyone could do. Mm-hmm. You just take take a, a mason jar to make your dressing and uh, you maybe it's depending upon how many people it's it's a decent amount of shallot. It's a small quantity of Dijon mustard uh, and then a lot of herbs. You need tarragon, chervil, and chives. Mm-hmm. Three parts tarragon, the two parts chervil, the one part chive. And you want to chop them pretty fine and and get them mm-hmm. in there. A little bit of extra virgin, uh, a lot of canola oil, and you need white vinegar. It's about 60-40 is probably what you want, about, about 60% oil and 40% the rest of it. And then you just shake the bejesus out of it when you put the top on the jar. And it'll emulsify pretty quickly and easily. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a uh, Jacques Pepin trick from watching a cooking show a very long time ago. It's like, oh, you're so smart. You're getting all the mustard out of the jar <laughs> and making the dressing. And that's got to be the fastest way to emulsify it ever. And, um, you know, you blanch, like whether you use a stock pot or something, just uh, it, it's a lot of water, right? Yeah, and how definitely. long? If you're going to serve them warm, you're talking what? Forty-five seconds. It depends on how big they are. If they're if they're what we call pencil, so literally the size of a pencil, or a little bit bigger. Yeah, I mean, probably I'd say a minute, minute and a half, actually, in rapidly boiling water. This should be yeah. a nice bright color. Mm-hmm. As soon as they turn that bright color, usually I think it's time to take them well, out. And the joy of cooking or being the cook is well, take one of them out of the pot and put it in your mouth and see how it is. I mean, you know, that's part Probably of the hot. experience <laughs> is experiencing it while you're doing it. I mean, the process, that's how you learn how to cook. Um, if you taste constantly, well, yeah, don't burn your mouth, but um, you know, the, the, the experience of learning how to cook is, is checking things at all points. And that's how you really learn. It's like, I know when macaroni is done, you know, but by visual, because I've cooked it a gajillion million times. But when I first started cooking it, I would never have known what it, you know, I couldn't have just gone by visual. I also know that it takes six minutes in boiling water to get it perfectly al dente. So, but you know, there are a lot of things that you can learn by just tasting things. So don't, don't be tied to a time, be tied to, is it the way you want it to be? Check it out. So anyway, this, when you pull them, I always find, especially if you, you're going to dress them like that, with uh, just it, it's a very classic thing the the hot asparagus the you know the cold vinaigrette um, right dry them when they come out just when when you pull them 
just go right onto a kitchen towel mm-hmm. and and blot them a little bit, and they'll they'll do a much better job with the dressing and the yeah the, the residual water. This air is not going to dilute the dressing. You know, you can just lay them out on a plate and literally just you know take your dressing with a spoon and cover those guys and have a giant asparagus party. I think one of the key things you talked about was the fact that you use canola oil and extra virgin olive oil. And I would say to you, uh, to someone trying that recipe, please be careful with the extra virgin that you're using. Because again, if you have one that's spicy, that's really intense, which a lot of them are, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. But in an asparagus, you you don't want all that huge flavor. So the fact that you've used uh, predominantly canola oil and a little bit of extra virgin is, I think, really, really smart. And the other thing, you're using white vinegar. You could also use, I mean, you could use champagne vinegar um, in that application, in that recipe. You could also use raspberry vinegar, which is really pretty. Um, I wouldn't go to red wine vinegar, but um, your recipe is perfect the way it is. But if somebody maybe didn't have white vinegar at home and had something else, you know, you could change that out. But your recipe is right on the way it is. Well, you, and you can you can play with the herbs depending on what's available. Mm. Uh, but yeah. I, it's a good combo. That that's a very good combination. And if you're using, if you're going to use partly partly because you cannot find shrivel. I would use a good bit less. I'd make it three to one to one instead of three to two to one. Yeah, there's such a big difference to me between the taste of shrivel and Italian flat leaf parsley. Uh, It's it's it seems like it would be interchangeable, but yeah, like you say, you'd only want to use a little bit. You know, um, I don't know how many people have ever been to Lamy Louis in Paris, but that's where we first had that dish. Um, Very similar to what you're describing that recipe, and um, one of the things that shocked me, like everything at that restaurant. Um, is that the dressing came out in a huge bowl? I think I don't know if it was just you and I, or if there were four of us, or something. I know oh, it was a big glass bowl. Oh my god! And I mean, it was just there was just a ton of dressing in there. <laughs> I was so shocked by that because you know we always try to be so careful with everything and portion everything per- perfectly, and it was just this just luxurious amount of <laughs> dressing in that big bowl. Oh, well, and yeah, the asparagus they, they, was they, the huge asparagus from France, right? It was the stuff from Londres. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it was these gigantic, I'd never seen these huge pieces of asparagus. Oh, and it was, I'm like, uh, I remember my first thought when I saw it was, oh my gosh, that's going to be so tough. And of course, of course it wasn't. They wouldn't be serving it if it was. But my initial reaction was, oh, how can that be good? And of course, it's amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, the plants have to be really old to get that big. And so... And, and grow really, really long. So it's really just very much the top. Okay, right. You know, that's 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 kind of the trick with that. I wonder how old they are. Do you know? No, I've never really had many conversations with asparagus plants. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that, actually. <laughs> All right. What's, and we talked about Suave Glasgow as being an excellent match. The other thing I would say uh, is Silvaner, a grape that you see mm. in... Uh, it's all around middle Europe, whether it's Alsace, where it's tiny bit off dry, or uh, you see it up in the Alto Adige, uh, can be super charming there as well. Or Moluturgau, you see up there. So what else is on your favorite spring veggie list? There's all sorts of, you know, baby vegetables, whether it's different types of beets, which are so exciting, and um, the baby carrots. And I think that one of the things that's best for beets is to roast them. 
there are other ways to cook them and certainly pickling them is a lot of fun. Um, so that might be something I would, I would pickle, I would pickle them for a salad or something, but if I'm eating them hot, I'm going to roast them because I just think it realizes all of its natural sugars. And it's kind of nice to have the baby ones because beets take a really long time to roast in the oven. So the little guys, you know, obviously have a shorter cook time. And, you know, we've done them different ways over the years. We used to do them on this tremendous amount of salt um, and a big pan and, you know, with foil on it. And of course, they have a natural water content. So they steam themselves as they roast, since you have foil on the pan. And we would usually roast them right around 325 degrees. But if you let's say you had a full size red beet doing that, you're, you're they're in there for two hours, maybe even three. Those big softball-sized ones? Oh, my, oh my gosh, yeah. They take forever. So uh, the little guys, um, we're getting, uh, not locally, but we're getting the candy stripe beets, and they're just one of my favorites. First of all, they're so pretty, um, but they really have a high sugar content, and it is like eating a piece of candy. And anytime I deal with those, we, you know, when we do, we do roast them, but we do it with just a little bit of salt and, and foil now and a little bit of oil. And um, when they come out, and they're in their jackets. So when they come out, then you let them steam a little bit and you remove their jackets and then you cut them into whatever form you want them to be. With the little beets, they're usually small enough that you don't have to cut them. Um, and uh, But they've retained their shape, which is usually very pretty. And obviously you wanna cut just the very end of that root off uh, and the top of the root off. So then we toss them in a little bit of corn oil, which is a good neutral oil, a tiny bit of salt, pepper, and a tiny bit of sugar, which now we will no longer be doing. Um, but um, that is that is is just a good way to have them dressed and ready to go. Even if you're, again, if you're cooking them ahead and you want them for dinner tonight, then you could just pop those in the oven and eat them with a little bit, tiny bit more corn oil. There's a dish with beets right now that I'm like, can't stop wanting and eating and making it, it's really easy <laughs> because because the baby beets are coming from some, there are, there are some guys who have them locally right now and we're getting some baby goldens mm -hmm. and roasting those guys and having them prepped and ready to go and mm -hmm. we're starting to get some mushrooms especially some of the hen of the woods mushrooms and mm -hmm. you know, my that i love so much and those guys they don't they're not forever to kind of roast you can really just you know saute them for a bit in a pan Mm -hmm. get some of that water out of there add a little bit of fresh thyme and and you know and and a little good olive oil once they come off the heat and uh, let them kind of cool off and and uh, grow their aromas but we're getting fluke the nicest fluke i've really ever seen come out of the chest beak from down near the mouth of the chest beak and that on a plate with just those beets which are so sweet and those mushrooms, which are so nice and woodsy, and almost any other thing as a sauce, you know. And right, right now it's it's been celery root. It's been uh, that's funny. I keep thinking all I can think of is topinambora. Um, Jerusalem artichokes. Jerusalem artichokes. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> or sunchokes is the other name for them. Um, yeah, I don't. That's just my. I my love brain, those so brain much. Goes right to, yeah. Sure. So, but that, that's my favorite actually. Has been that on the plate, just a little puree, with, mm -hmm. you know, no dairy really because it's so creamy. Uh, the beets, the mushrooms, yeah, delicious. And that that beautifully cooked, very simple, like no sauce, pretty white fish, right out of the water. What does fluke? How would you describe fluke? What does it taste like? What's the texture? 
it's built not on like turbo actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a flat fish. It has a, and the flavor is not unlike turbo, which is one of my very favorite fish. So that's pretty. Cool, a lot of times, they, a lot of times they're very small when mm-hmm. they get them from up the bay. These have been coming from down near the mouth of the bay, and so they're they're bigger fish that are rough and tough enough, I guess, to spend some ocean time. Good fish, and, like a uh, rough, tough yeah, fish. That, that, well, you know that this this spring the black sea bass, spectacular, and and the the fluke. What I get excited about fish. Come on. <laughs> well, I I do too. I'm with you. I'm not laughing at you. I'm laughing with you. For the people who are playing along at home and want to know about <laughs> wine with these things, with all the wine for the babies. Uh, one, it's an excellent excuse for those first rosés that you want to drink, uh, but look. Uh, for Pinot Noir rosés, like from Sancerre and that sort of thing, something a little bit more uh, reserved. If it's if it's white, um, very dry Riesling does well. Grunewaldliner does well. A lot depends on what else is on the plate with those dishes. But if, if a dish is just about those items, like you have the dish with the beets and the artichokes and the dandelion wilted dandelions and all that, that that's a marvelous just. Some white with some body, no oak, because no one wants vanilla with those things, and and just good freshness to it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Maybe the savannah I was mentioning before. I like that word. Well, when we come back on Formula Wolf on food and wine, we'll get into the next veggies of the season. We're going to talk peas and favas, and we've got a surprise for Cindy Wolf on Formula Wolf on food and wine on WIPR. Welcome back to Foreman and Wolf on Food and Wine. I'm Tony Foreman. And Chef Cindy Wolf. And Tony, you said you had a surprise for me. I have one for you. Oh, Do you know I what it surprises. Is? Okay, all right. I'm getting my first morels in tomorrow. I'm so excited. It's going to be so great. Excellent. Oh, I can't wait. We, Can we, I tell we, you how many I want? Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't buy enough for how many you want. <laughs> oh, man. I only bought one case. Well, I have to see them. I, I, it's the first of the season. They're very expensive, un, un, ungodly expensive, actually. And um, so, you know, we get, we have to see this first case, see how they come in. And, you know, morels are a wild product. And um, they can be pretty wild when they come in. You know, they can... They need to be cleaned perfectly. Yeah, yeah. They, the stems need to be sharp looking. They need to be, a morel uh, needs to be fresh, really fresh, freshly cut. So that's what I'm expecting. I cannot wait. And I bought some green circle chickens. I know you've had those. They're so good. Mm-hmm. And I don't often serve chicken, but I really just want a very, very, very good chicken and morel cream dish right now. Mm. Mm-hmm. Oh, I can't I can't wait to make it. So that's what I will be doing with the morels tomorrow as long as they meet my demands of quality. If you do break off enough morels that I can have a little bit, <laughs> then uh then I the girls will want to make pasta with me. Del will want to make spaghetti alla chitarra with me and oh, good. That's have nice. that with morels and asparagus. That's just Man, that's the best combination in spring mm-hmm, mm-hmm. when the, when those two things collide. 
It's so great. Yeah. I, and I was thinking because I was talking about making saffron risotto with the asparagus. And then when I, I, I remembered while we were sitting here that I'm getting the morels in tomorrow, I'm like, oh, maybe I'm going to have to make morel risotto with the asparagus because I do, 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 do love those things together too. Like you say, what grows together goes together. And I know you're referring to wine and food, but I think that's the same thing with food. You know, if, if it's in the same season and it's a special thing, they often go together and are celebrated yeah. together because of their short and limited av availability. I think that's oh. why we get so, like you said, that's why we get so, we get so excited about it because it's, it's nice when something's special, when you only get it, when it marks a season, it marks a time of the year. You know, it's like holidays and religious holidays and, and holidays that you celebrate with your family at different times of the year, you know, the food that goes with it. All of those things mark time in such a positive way. And um, so I'm really, I'm really excited for those to arrive tomorrow. That's awesome. That's, morel mushrooms are definitely one of the, I, I know you love truffles. I, morels, morels and porcinis are right there. Oh, I agree. I agree. Me. I mean, truffles are very special um, and, and obviously crazy expensive. So they just are so out of reach for so many people that it, it's just, you know, so to have something that is within reach, albeit they can also be kind of expensive, but not as, you know, the, like you say, the morels and the porcinis are just such a treat. You do have to deal with one little problem when you work with them, though, and you know what that is. And, and, it, and that's the only thing that bothers me, you know, about them. But you, as long as you clean them carefully um, and some, you know, one of the things about working with mushrooms is they act like a sponge. And they also have a high water content because of that. So when if you do have to wash mushrooms, you really need to, you got to work fast and be careful and drain them well and let them sit and drain and do the best you can to get that water out of them before you start cooking them because uh, they were already full of water before you did that. Yeah, that they, well, I mean, they, they occur in the forest. So if it lives in the forest, it could be in those mushrooms. <laughs> exactly. You know, that's... And that uh, yeah. pine needles and sand, sure, but that could be any little bits of bark. It could be a tiny worm. It could be like yeah, all kinds of stuff. That's what I didn't want to have to say out loud. Yeah, but, yeah, but people, you people did it for know. me. You did it for people, me. Yeah. People, well, it's it's natural. Know. It's natural. It's the way that they are, and you just have to clean them. And I did. I did. I gave you one. I just bought those little brushes. So now I finally get to use it tomorrow. I'm so excited. I got these little Scandinavian old super. They look French to me, but of course, that's not the only Everything place where things French like that you. come from. Exactly. Um, the little wooden handle. It's like little thing in your hand. It's got a little brush on the end with long bristles. And I'm like, oh, now I can just brush my morels instead of having to put them in too much water. So I'm excited for, the, to, for that. I, I think I've said excited like 18 times already in this show. Well, that's the that's the time, and mm -hmm. eventually you'll have another word, and so that'll be, that'll be great. <laughs> so favas and peas. Fava beans, I find people really like them, or they're not into them. Oh, my gosh, I can't why imagine. Do you, why do you think that is? I have no idea. Fava beans are like one of my favorite foods ever. I, I don't know. Why? I, I, th I think it's the bitter thing. I, well, I don't not think they're bitter. I th one... I recall asking someone, to. Huh. they're like, how can I help you in the kitchen? Just getting ready for a, a meal for a group. How can I help? How can I help? It's like, oh, okay. Well, why don't you peel those fava beans? Okay. 
That would have been the first thing I said. Well, you want to help? Peel the fava beans. Exactly. So then I cook them and they come off and they're cooling off. And like, what else can I do? I'm like, peel the fava beans. (laughs) (laughs) Again. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? Mm -hmm. That's one thing that you you may think you have a lot of fava beans. You get a giant bag and you end up with a very small quantity. Oh, totally. Well, and that's they, they have a lot of flavor. Oh, they're so delicious. That's the thing is they they have that nutty, like little bit bitter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. intensity that they, they can stand up to a lot of things in a dish or really make their own dish. I mean, my I think my favorite bruschetta, all time favorite bruschetta. Yeah, you know where you grill the the toasts and it's oil on them, just good extra virgin, fresh ricotta, a uh, little salt, a little pepper. And then crushed fava beans and a little garlic. Man, mm, mm, you know, mm, that would mm. have been blanched and mm, mm. so we used I've to do stuff. We used to do a, a bruschetta and we would do it with we would do the fava beans, chop them by hand pretty fine, and mix it with Reggiano and extra virgin olive oil and a little bit of salt and pepper. And uh, oh gosh, I could have eaten a million of those little Toast points with that on. Yeah, well, and the thing, okay, so fava beans come in their wonderful little home, um, which is the pod. And I mean, it's got like carpeting inside. Every time I open up a fava bean pod, I'm just so surprised by how nature makes things. I mean, it's it's astonishing what's inside. They're just nestled in there in this gentle little blanket of happiness. And so you you rip them out. Yeah, you rip them out of their home. And then you... uh, which takes some work, then you need heavily salted boiling water. You drop them in, you should have your shocking water ready to go. And um, that can have salt in it as well. And um, and then you're going to peel them and then you're ready to go. They're a lot of work, they're totally worth it. And as you said, you know, I, I buy a case of fava beans and I end up with like a six pan of fava if I'm lucky, which is, you know, what, four cups? So five cups, what is a six pan? <laughs> I should know that. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> I know what a six pan is, and that's about what we get. A lot of work. Well, and English peas, mm. sort of the opposite, you know, because you you have the, the 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 bitterness, the nuttiness that make favas kind of like have an aggressive personality. And peas, nice are and sweet, sweet. necessarily, yeah. you know. And the, the pea vines, that's you know me. I'm the all time lover of pea vines. If you can get not just the peas in the pod, but get the whole vines yeah they're so those, good those leaves have so much flavor yeah it makes a great soup the the vines oh are they great yeah. garnish i mean you just make a make a, a bed make a very very light salad with just the pea vines mm-hmm. you know and and grill lamb medallions and and good oil and okay now i'm getting really hungry a nice bottle of brunella matocino oh there we go i could really have that mm-hmm. for lunch that would be nice yeah yeah yeah, the pea vines I'll, I'll are great. I'll whip that right up. Okay, thank you. Yeah, if you want to make soup, saute some onions and shallots in butter, if you like butter. If not, use corn oil or canola. And work that with no color. So just until they're translucent, add water and salt or chicken stock and salt, whichever you prefer. And, um, and then once that's cooked for about 20 minutes on a low simmer, uh, you can just throw the pea tendrils in and blend it immediately and strain it really well. Salt, pepper, delicious. You know, Tony, um, the, the other thing that's we're starting to see, local crab meat, which it is quite expensive, but if you 
are buying it. Um, peas and crab meat go really nicely together too. So oh, yeah. if you know if you're having maybe making crab cakes, uh, peas on the plate, a little bit of uh, I like whole grain mustard cream, which is simply cream, a little cream reduced down, and that uh, a good country style uh, creamy Dijon that has the mustard seed in it. Um, and a little bit of that to the cream. You don't even have to add salt or pepper. It's just very simple sauce and it's really delicious with crab. But um, yeah, I really love peas and crab. Or you could make like a little pea and crab gratin. I think that would be so much fun. You know, you could put a little bit of uh, uh, cream and Reggiano in there and have the crab meat and maybe in the peas and maybe even put a little bit of chive on it after it comes out of the oven. Um, but yeah, I, I just love the idea. Well, in soft shells, we've had a break in soft shells, unfortunately. Um, we were kind of teased with them a couple of weeks ago, and now they're not available, but they will be coming back soon. And um, uh, I think uh, a little fava bean and pea salad, you know, just lightly dressed with a little bit of extra virgin salt and pepper, and maybe have a little bit of fresh lime supremes on the plate uh, with a soft shell crab would be a really fun way. Or and your pea t- your pea uh, uh, shoots or tendrils uh, would also be really good on that plate. And it's funny you talk about the crab meat. I'm th- I'm thinking crab cakes because surprise, I'm from Baltimore, so mm-hmm. that that with uh, a salad with the peas and the tendrils. And the little spring onions that are coming now, the little, the red ones are sort of hot and sweet at once. Uh, grill some of those guys. Uh-oh. You do you remember eating calzots? Yes. Uh, in, oh yes. Uh, in it's... in Catalonia, and that we've mm-hmm. done sometimes here. So now is now is the time for that. So this, those are where mm-hmm. they take the green onions and cook them on big wood fires, and they've made uh, romescu sauce. It's almond, garlic, tomato, smoked paprika, uh, lots of olive oil, salt, like coarse salt. And it's, it's, it's a ground sauce. It's an ancient sauce in Catalonia. And you just serve that in a little pot and you dip the, uh, you know, the sort of charred sweet spring onions into those guys. That's... Sorry, that sauce that. is so amazing. I've never, it's such an unusual combination of things. I, I mean, I'd never had anything like that before we started serving it. And, um, or when we had it in Spain with the calzots and, um, wow, I, I love that sauce. It's one of those things that you eat it immediately. You're like, okay, this is medieval. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, yeah. just right away. Just right away. That's the other thing that you know, making calzots makes me think, oh, okay. Yes, it is finally spring. I think, uh, and getting whether it's spring onions or any of these products now or coming up in the next couple of months, take a, take a look. People should take a look for what farmers markets are starting to open, and what the regulations are, and what the, what the practices that they're engaging in. Because a, a lot of them are doing a really good job keeping things really safe and smart. But there's lots of excellent stuff that grows in the area to cook with, and markets sprawling all over the place. It just kind of keep popping up. We, we are very, very lucky to have the amount of farmer's markets we have in our region. And uh, so pretty much, you know, you're going to find them in a lot of different neighborhoods and in the county as well. And there's just so much, you know, com- coming up soon. So there's there's a lot going to be a lot of availability. And of course, you're supporting the farmers. And that's what we all need to do. And, you know, they're working hard to make food healthy for you. 
So it's it's a great opportunity, and I think it's great for kids to get to go to market with their parents and have that whole experience and begin to learn and understand the seasons. Uh, and then also, you know, why are you, why are we eating this? Oh, how do you make that? And and then they become good cooks as they uh, grow up and are are good uh, buyers of food product as well, supporting their farmers. So it's it's all around a, a really great thing. So Cindy, the last thing I'm going to throw out there for spring that you have to have is good rosé. There is an excellent estate in Bordeaux, Domaine de Chevalier and Pessac. And I don't often think, oh, Bordeaux, that's the rosé that I want. They can be ponderous. There's a marvelous one called Rosé de Chevalier that mm-hmm. comes out in one of these ridiculous, almost like perfume-looking bottles. Uh, well, the wine is excellent, fresh, bright, but has good depth. Uh, match up with a lot of different food. And rosés also are your secret weapon running into tomato season. So you need to find the ones that you love and keep them handy. And they tend to go. Good advice. They they tend to go on big runs. Okay. Well, if you want to download this program or any one of our others, you can go to the WIPR website, WIPR.org. Look for the Foreman Wolf page. And there's a whole menu of goodies. If you want to correspond with the program, it's foremanwolf at wypr.org. To follow Chef Cindy Wolf on social media. You can follow me on Instagram as Chef Cindy Wolf and on Twitter and Facebook as Cindy Wolf. My Instagram is the real Tony Foreman. Thanks so much for listening. Happy Sunday. Happy Sunday.